Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm laughing here because how are you doing? John has been persecuted here as always as for always. being late. He is actually I've just noticed you got very special shoes on today. Oh yeah, I I bought these. <laughs> I bought these, and they're not like orthopedic shoes now, are they? <laughs> they look But, very orthopedic. I mean, I know we. Yeah, go on. You're gonna have to really justify no, this. No, this was. Do you know what this was? This is pure COVID nonsense. Flicking through online, and an ad pops up. So I click and buy. I didn't even think. I, I was just drawn into it you know out those, of boredom. I bought shoes out of boredom. Do you know those really creepy priest shoes the priests used to wear in the 80s? Do you remember those? Kind of really nice, soft, silent ones. They come up behind you, wouldn't hear them. You know, yeah. creepy fuckers. That's what they remind me of. Anyway, how are you doing? It's the podcast. We will talk not about creepy priests. We will talk about economics. Funny, funny old week. We're going to talk about house prices. House prices in Ireland in particular, but this applies all over the world. In every English-speaking country, we have seen house prices go through the roof over the last couple of years, so much so that young people, and I'm talking about people, youngish people, people between the age of 25 and 45 are being completely priced out. It's doing a number of things. Socially, John, what I find very difficult about this is the way it retards adulthood. You know, it's You know, adulthood yeah. is a process of independence. You gradually become independent. You leave the house. You do your own thing, right? And I think that what's happening is house prices are determining people's lives in a very, very detrimental way. And we need to do something about it. But it was all sparked by, I saw a, a write-up of a house in an area of Dublin called Ranela. If you don't know, it's Dublin. It's a very swanky suburb now, in fairness, right? Inner suburb. But a, a house was pitched at young professionals, John, and it was yeah. ideal for young professionals at eight hundred and ninety thousand euros. What are they thinking? Young professional drug dealers, maybe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But I mean, who has that sort of money? Nobody. I don't understand that. It's just the notion that this is an acceptable social, economic, environmental, emotional place to be. So we're going to talk about that this week. How yeah. you can bring house prices. Right. Well, down. it's like your kids and my kids are grown up. They're hitting their 20s 
And they need to move out, as you say, grow up and do all the the 20-year-old stuff. And, you know, part of that is whether they're going to rent a property or buy a property. You know, they need to be able to afford it. Well, we can do something about it now. Okay, okay, give us a rundown of that. This week in the podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to create an economic model for what house prices should be. Okay. If we took as the foundational price in all this people's incomes, right? Mm-hmm. What we do in Ireland is crazy. We take as what I call the foundational price, the price that we cannot argue with, house prices, and we work backwards from that. Yeah. What about doing, which is completely logical, taking people's incomes and working up from there and figuring out what a fair price of a house is based on income, based on rents, and based on what is possible to buy, to actually build, right? But the first thing I want to say is, Yesterday marked one year since our general election. Right. Yesterday. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was a year ago yesterday. What people voted for was the single biggest issue was housing for young people. And the reason Sinn Féin did well is they created the perception that they they worried more about it than anybody else. Yeah. The perception, that's what they said, right? Now, what has happened since then? We've had a pandemic. We've had the rate of unemployment go through the roof. Yeah. We've had hundreds of thousands of people on government handouts. Yeah. Rightly so. We have interest rates dropping to zero. Interest rates dropping. We have also huge parts of the economy shut down. Mm. And yet, with people unemployed, with a pandemic, with huge parts of the economy shut down, house prices have risen. Yeah. Not fallen. They've risen to between 6 and 7% countrywide, right? So that's the reality. So we started last year wanting house prices to fall for young people. We've ended up in a pandemic with house prices rising. So nothing has happened for those people between the age of 25 and 40 who are looking for a place to live. That goes against a certain logic, doesn't it? It goes against a certain logic and it means that the state needs to step up and get involved because what it basically says is the free market in housing does not provide... supposed to be doing that. But they they haven't done it. At all, so as what's far as step I can one see. for them then? So the first thing is to say, look, you know, a political party that puts at the centre of its manifestos houses for young people mm. will be rewarded. Second thing is Fianna Fáil for decades, John, built council houses in this country. Yeah. Okay. In the in the thirties, they built Crumlin and Drimna in the thirties, right? Right. Okay. In the forties, in the fifties, sixties, all the way up to the nineteen eighties. It was a centerpiece of Fianna Fáil's message to the electorate. We will look after you. And they were rewarded for generations of, of people have yeah. rewarded Fianna Fáil. And you'd say, why did you vote Fianna Fáil? And they'd say, because they sorted out my granddad with a house. Mm. Right? Even yeah, though yeah, it was yeah. actually state policy. But they, they developed that and they said, this is our policy, right? So again, there is a lesson for political parties. Fix this and you will be rewarded possibly for generations. Mm. But also the other thing is, if we could bring house prices down, John, it would be, it would change the lives of people dramatically. You know, people's day-to-day lives have been profoundly and detrimentally affected by the fact that they can't find a place to live, yeah. right? So there's no reason not to do this. And no, but, we, but hang, hang on, hang on. I, I, yeah. Like, I, I totally get that and I totally agree. We can see it ourselves and our own families and stuff, but it's very easy to say if, we no, bring the house down. So, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give so, yeah, you I'm co- gonna give you a policy here, right? Okay. But again, I want to talk a bit broader, right? Proper countries 
don't have house price inflation. A country like Germany, for example, mm. when rents go up in Germany, let's say in a city like Berlin, they impose rent control. And rent control has a problem. It's a very blunt instrument. But what they're saying to people is, we have your back. The state will not tolerate it. Is it the state that does that or is it the, the kind of st- city council? Well, it's the city council. But I mean, it's, I mean, they're an arm of the state. They're, yeah, they're, they're yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. And they say, look, we're not having this carry on. Why? Because the Germans understand that accommodation is a cost, not a way to profiteer. Yeah. So they look at accommodation like the cost of energy, that in actual fact, falling energy prices are good for everybody, mm. or like the, the, the cost of, uh, of food, like the cost of, of footwear, etc. Right. So the Germans say, we are not going to tolerate this carry on, right? And they send a signal, therefore, that this way we're going to run the country is we're going to say house prices are a function of income. And they work back from that. And of right. course, what that does then is it means the upward pressure on wages in Germany is subdued because people can afford to live properly yeah. near where they actually work, as opposed to us where people commute 50 miles to get something fair, right? But more importantly, German industry then, which is, as we know, a, a juggernaut, yeah. can depend on lower wages, lower costs, workers who aren't commuting all over the place. Yeah, and yeah. also, much more importantly, and it's rarely understood, is that so much of Ireland's finance industry is biased and jaundiced towards housing. Mm. And so much, if you look, if you talk to the banks, all they, all they seem to do is talk about houses, right? Yeah, okay? Yeah. It means that the marginal euro that might be lent out for industry and for startups is lent out for housing and more and more money is lent out for housing leaving less and less money lent out for startups which is why in ireland we've always had we've always had very small business why do why are irish businesses so small why is this the small and medium-sized enterprises always really very tiny Mm. because they always have capital constraints why do they have capital constraints? Because they can't get funding. Why can't they get funding? Because the banks are obsessing about houses and not obsessing about rent, lending to industry. Germany's the other way around. Yeah. So German industry gets all the funding at once. That's very interesting, though. But, you know, there is the, the flip side where it affords the opportunity for people to invest in property and therefore build their wealth up. Well, this is... this is So, so, we need so it's, to, it's not kind of balancing things. So We need to change completely our perception of what a house is, right? If you think the game here in Ireland is buy a house, leverage yourself, like there's a, there's a latest wheeze, there's all these wheezes, the latest wheeze is <laughs> an equity-backed house. So the yes. state is going to lend you money. Yeah. But it's going to take 30% a 30% or something, isn't it? This is, this is entirely developer-driven, right? All these wheezes were helped to buy equity, this, that, and the other, 30-year mortgages. They are all designed to validate an already inflated house price. Right. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to stretch every last penny out of debt and income to get to that price. So what you're doing is you're saying to young people, we're going to hit you with 30-year mortgages, all sorts of these little ruses, only to actually validate an already inflated prices. Yeah. Now let's think, so basically we've got a back to front. So basically you should always start every economic conversation in any economy with income. How much do people earn? Yeah. And that is your foundational, your base price. And everything well, else that's, flows That's perfectly that. logical. So, so what's your income? So therefore this is your budget. And that's, this is that's, the way we start, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, Ireland, in Ireland, we get it our ways. We say, what is the house price? 
Yeah. And we work backwards from them. So yeah. we try to stretch income to validate house prices. Now, there is a way of looking at this differently, right? And let's, I'm going to create a little model for economics, okay, right? Okay, good. So if you look back over history, particularly in the United States, you see that what is regarded as a fair rent every month is about 30% of take-home after-tax income. So okay. that's what people say, mm. this is the historic long-run average. That is fair, right? So then we got to start with income in Ireland. The median family's after-tax income in Ireland is €3,750 a month. So that's okay. where we start. Yeah. If we say that rents should be 30% of that, it means that the average rent in Ireland should be about 1125 okay. per month for a four-bedroom house, right, for a family okay, house. Right. Right. Now, if you decide what is fair value, right, if you decide that a landlord should get a yield of about 5%, which is very, very generous given that interest rates are zero. But just let's assume that. Okay. It means that to get the price of a house from that rent, what you do is you multiply the monthly rent by 12, which is the yep. annual rent roll, which is 13,500. Mm -hmm. And then if that constitutes 5% of the price of the house, this, this is the yield being 5%, the actual fair value of a house in Ireland is 270 thousand euros for four bedroom for a four bedroom family house right, right. Now you, okay so think about this so what we've done is we've taken the base price of income we've used the rent which is fair mm. we've worked backwards to give the landlord a five percent yield which is incredibly generous yeah and the figure of a fair house price is 270 grand in the country right now the question is how do you get wow. to that? Sorry, I'm just absorbing that since but, you're talking. But that's how, like, that's how economics should work. You know, that's yeah. like, this is basic economics. This is what, if, you know, if I were an economist in the government, you'd sit down and you'd figure this out. You know, you'd work it yeah. all backwards. So what you've done is you give incentives. If you want to be a landlord, you're going to get a 5% yield, which, given that interest rates are zero, is really, mm. really very, very, as they'd say in the Financial Times, punchy. Punchy, yeah. Okay? That was right? Katie's line, yeah. wasn't it? Punchy, right? Yeah. Okay, so the question is, can we build houses at that price? And then you look at the, all the builders and the developers and the banks, yeah. all who have a vested interest, particularly developers and banks, mm. I'm not sure about builders themselves, have a vested interest in higher prices. Because it sure, moves more money, more lending, yeah. okay, more profit, right? But if you actually look at cooperative housing in Ireland, there's a small housing co-op. Now, cooperative housing is the model for almost all Sorry, is the model for majority of housing in Amsterdam and in Vienna. Yeah. Okay. There's but a lot of co-op housing um, projects in London as well. I there remember. are, and they're, and they're starting, right? Yeah. There's a co-op. really cool, actually. Well, of course. There's a co-op called Okulon, right? Yeah. Co-op. It's, it's building houses now in Dublin, Waterford, and Cork. Okulon.ie. So that's www.okulon.ie. Right? They're housing so, co-op. Drop the www. That's that's from the nineties, man. From the, it's from the eighties, man. I'm still in the dial-up world. You are. You are. All right, fucking schooled by Johnny Boy in his special shoes. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Anyway, well, come here. so listen. They're building houses yeah. for between 170 and 210 thousand euros, and they're selling them. When you join a co-op, the difference between a co-op and a privately owned house yeah. is the fact that you can sell on your house when you leave, if you choose to leave, right? 
but you can't sell the land. The land is still owned by the co-op. So it's right. just a house. So it takes out land speculation. So this is a totally different, because the reason house prices go through the roof in Ireland is yeah. because of land speculation, land hoarding, right? But what the co-op says is, you can buy for 200 grand, and when you leave, maybe you sell for 300 grand, but we still own the land. The house and the land are different. Right. So the cooperative owns the land. And what this takes out... And are you paying the rates to the co-op while you're... Yeah, you're, you're a member of the co-op. Right. You're a yeah. member of the co-op. So there's a sort of sinking fund which you put in, you know, for example, for keeping the estate... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. But the point is, that the, the crucial point here is that let's start with the idea, an economic model for house prices based on income suggests that Irish house prices on average should be 270. There is a co-op that's actually building and selling houses for less than that. So that means they can be built, yeah. right? That means the whole developer argument and the bank's argument that houses can only cost 500 grand or only that sort of nonsense. It's all to do with the amount of fees they put on top. So then you think, okay, and like developer fees and the, the, the profit margins and all those but things. But it's the free market. It's the workings of the free but market. But the problem so. is there's no free market in housing because we have these buy-to-let schemes. We have these equity-to-buy schemes. Right. Yeah. There's no free market. We've, we've planning regulations. Housing is the most over-regulated market in the country. It's not free market at all. Right. It's all jaundiced to push house prices up because the game that we've convinced Irish people to play is you mortgage yourself to the hilt, we'll keep making sure house prices rise and rise and rise and rise. And then you, when you retire, can get out and sell and that's your nest egg. Yeah. But the fucking problem is you're selling to your kids. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's a yeah. greater fool theory. Yeah. You're basically selling on and to their kids. So you're impoverishing an entire nation by selling them the myth that they can actually become wealthy. There's also the factor that people who've already bought those 900 grand houses that you're talking about in the Irish Times, you know, once they've bought it, they don't want house well, prices to drop. But that's, and we've got to, so we've got to change. So this way, in this idea, you create two markets. Mm. You can keep the wealthy speculating in their houses. You can keep that market. That's the game you want to play. Yeah. The state builds maybe 500,000 cooperative houses with these cooperative agencies. Yeah. And what this does then is it creates two markets. So one is the, as you were, crazy boom-bust market. You can do that. Yeah. The existing housing stock can reflect that. Yeah. But the new housing stock is going to be cooperative. And if you want to use accommodation simply as a place to live that is devoid of this speculative nonsense yeah. that you're going to get rich doing it, then suddenly what you do is we provide houses for working families that are actually affordable, right? And it's been done through co-ops. And you can imagine then, why does the state have to do it? Because the builders will say, we can't build at that price. But then the state has to behave a little bit like a done stores. You know what I mean? How does done stores and all those supermarkets yeah. bring prices down? They squeeze suppliers. Yeah. You're the dominant position, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You, get, you get kick-ass quantity surveyors to work on each project. Okay, and you follow the cooperative model. Right. It's like this all sounds great, but where do you build them? So the state is the biggest landowner in the country. Right. People forget this, right? That yeah. the biggest landowner. So and therefore, on the state's balance sheet, your asset and your liability are actually the same thing. If you do this, because you're the owner. So what you do is you identify all those state-owned sites yeah. and you start. The second thing you do is if the builders say, or the developers will say, well, we can't do this. You say, well, we don't need you. 
because we're doing a cooperative model. And then you do a shout out to builders. You say, look, guys, we've got a different model. Our model for you now is a long-term revenue stream for the next 20 years. We will keep you in business. Okay, yeah. the state doesn't build. You get builders to build, yeah. right? The private sector builder builds. So what you say to them is, look, we're going to give you a stream of income, right? Because you're going to do the building. But we're going to tell you we're going to be in this business for the next 20 years. So you, as a, as a builder, can say, okay, this is the way I'm going to go. Yeah. So rather than the builder think, oh, I'll buy a little bit of land here. I'll speculate. I'll flip it. I'll build two or three yeah, houses. Yeah, yeah. Right? The builder says, do you know what? Why don't I have a long-term view here and go and build these yeah. for the state? And then you think, how do you finance all this? Right? Again, it comes back to, we can borrow at 0%, right? We can borrow at 0%. Slovenia, I'm not having to go to Slovenia, it's a new country. It borrowed for 70 years at 0.6% last week, right? Right, okay. The tax take of Dublin... To do what exactly were they... To, they're they're, they're just borrowing for, for the Slovene state. Okay. The tax take of Dublin is more than the entire tax take of Slovenia, <laughs> right? You know, this, is, this is all right, crazy okay. stuff, right? Dublin raises 22 billion euros in tax a year. Right. Slovenia raises 15 billion in total, right? So this is, this, there's no financial issue. So imagine what you would do. You decide we're going to raise a bond in order to finance 500,000 houses over the next 10 years. Yeah. It sounds like a lot, but remember at the height of the boom, we were building 70,000 houses here right. a year, right? right. In, in wrong, feckin' places, but we yeah, were building yeah, it. Yeah, it could yeah. be done, right? And the state then identifies all these sites and says, we're going to use them. So we're going to build on our yeah. own sites, right? We're going to weigh VAT on these co-ops because we want to actually achieve Like all of these things are kind of red flags because how do you stop people buying the co-op houses to cash in? How do you stop the buy You can't because the co-op, there's rules of the co-op. It's like... So they're taken out of the kind of free market, ups and downs of the property market. If you think, for example, the agricultural base of this country was built on cooperative movements, right? Every farmer in the country was part of the co-op. Why were they part of the co-op? Because the little farmers on their own would always get a very, very bad price because they were so small. Yeah. So the farmer said, why don't we all join a co-op and the co-op will negotiate for us to get a better price? Well, this is exactly the same model. It was actually Horace Plunkett. Do you remember that name from many years I, ago? Do I remember the name? Horace Plunkett was yeah. a, a thought leader in Ireland in the late 19, early 20th century. Right. A Who nationalist. Was he? Was he? he was a nationalist, right. but not, not a Republican. And his whole idea was that it was part of it. If you remember the Gaelic League, it's interesting. It wasn't just about... Singh going off to to, to Aaron and writing about the Playboy of the Western World and and Yates. There was also this incredibly interesting cooperative industrial policies that they put forward, which were really fascinating. And of course, they were informed by the Fabian Society, George Bernard Shaw. They were sort of, they were were lefties without being Stalinist type or Leninist type. So so they were called, it was the reform of the Marxist movement. So basically Marx comes in in 1849, writes the Communist Manifesto, and by the time that Engels is publishing Das Kapital, there's already a change within Marxism. So Marxism is thinking, okay, we don't have to be so revolutionary. We can actually go through the ballot box because the Social Democratic Party in Germany yeah. becomes the largest party. In the UK, the movement's the Fabian Society. And Fabian Society comes from a guy called Fabius, who was a Roman general. Okay, right. And Fabius was the Roman general who always second-guessed himself and took his time. Right? Okay. Yeah. Fabians came from this, take your time. So Fabius was this incredibly brilliant Roman general who used to retreat all the time. 
And initially they all said, well, this guy's, a, this guy's some sort of pussy. Yeah. But his tactics was retreat, 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 take your time, take your time, figure out your strategy, and then counterattack. Right. So the Fabians took their name from that. Okay. And George Bernard Shaw was the biggest Fabian, right? Yeah. He was also, he also tried to, he's a great one, he tried to convince, he tried to convince Oscar Wilde to become a Fabian socialist. Right. And uh, Wilde said, said to Shaw, they're both they're the most successful Irish men on the planet at this stage. Yeah. Shaw yeah. and Wilde, yeah. they're sitting in London and Shaw says, why don't you become a socialist like me? And Wilde says, because your meetings go on too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. He said, that won't catch on. But all we're doing is resurrecting an old idea here, John, right? So then you think the state here in Ireland says, we're going to build the 500,000 houses. You can be rest assured every builder in Ireland is saying, I want some of that. Because yeah. that's long-term income. Yeah. That's like, that's a long-term bet. And, and it's security and it's all of, of that. Of course, it's yeah. security, right? And then, of course, what the state has got to do is to make sure that the rate of inflation in building stays low. Yeah. So they don't say, well, we can't build it for this. So they say, look, 270 is the price. That's it, in or out. But hasn't, like, I, I'm no builder, as you know, but... Hasn't, but you are many other things. Yes, you are. I can many, have a good go at it. <laughs> there are many other things. Go on. But the style of building, the design, and the whole function and process of building has changed quite considerably. You know, in these kind of modular buildings where it's pre-poured concrete into walls and floors, and and you, and you just kind of stick them together like Lego. Yeah, you, can, you can assemble. You can assemble yeah. houses. The innovations. The innovations in building. And maybe with a shout out, maybe on Patreon on uh, patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. If you are a builder listening or you are an architect or you're a quantity surveyor, drop us in a line about the innovations in building and what's actually happening to building It'll costs. Be really interesting. Yeah, actually, do that. Yeah. If it's, so, so it's patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. Drop us a line in there and we're going to actually keep this going, this conversation. But to come back to the idea, John, so you can finance it. You have the land. Mm -hmm. You know that the fair rent is mm. about 270 grand. Yeah, yeah. That means that families are paying 30% of their take-home after-tax income, which is the long-run average. Yeah. And what you do then is you begin the process of telling people, we have your back. There is another way of doing this, right? And, of course, what you do is you use the magic of the bond market to yeah. finance everything. Yeah. This is why I come back to this all the time. There is eminent financing opportunity. And again, not only is this possible, but it's actually necessary. Because if we continue to run this society, but not just this, the UK, the United States, Canada, Australia, all the English-speaking societies have been made hostage to the interest of landowners yeah. and developers. Yeah. And all the while, like this latest idea of the state giving you a bit of a loan, but they're going to take equity, and then the state owns a bit of that. All that is doing, it's jiggery-pokery to inflate yeah. up prices yeah. to achieve this crazy, crazy, crazy profit margin for the developing class. Yeah, We've been here before. We've been here before. This is, this is like the situation 2000 to 2008, except dressed up in a different right. guise. The interests of banks, the interests of lenders, the interests of developers, all are put before the interests of the citizen. But the political party, John, that delivers this, I think, could run the country for the next two or three decades because people will say they're the guys who fixed it. And if we come back, John, we are one year after the election and house prices are still rising. That is a monumental failure. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This sounds really good, and, it, yeah. and it's incredibly logical, but this will take a huge shift in thinking. How do we make these transitions? Because these, well, as you say, are monumental transitions. It's a big transition, John. Well, I, can, I think the first thing you've got to explain to people is that the present system enriches the already wealthy. That's the first thing. Yeah. But you also have to say to the already wealthy, look, you're part of the society too. This isn't a class war, right? So you say to people in the old-fashioned market, you can continue to play this game the buying and selling, you know, and trying to flip properties. That's yeah. that's going to be one side. But we're going to recreate a different model. So you have the twin track model. But then do you on. have, do you end up with cities and towns that are, you know, on two sides of the track, as it were? Well, you could end up with that, right? You could end up with that. I would think that the cooperative model should start first with dereliction. So you say to yeah. people, all these yeah. derelict buildings, we are going to CPO them. The state's going to take them over. Yeah. And we're going to tax you monumentally for keeping your properties derelict. So suddenly the owners say, hold on a second, we better get our shit together here, right? Because at the moment, there's no cost to dereliction in Ireland. And dereliction, as I've always said, is not a function of poverty. It's a function of wealth. Because yeah. only the truly wealthy landlord can allow the asset to actually sit on it, to yeah. sit in it right? Yeah. So yeah. it's a function of wealth, right? Yeah. That's the first thing. Second thing is you say to people in the existing housing market, yeah, off you go. Keep, keep playing that game. But actually, we're doing something new over here. Yeah. It's called cooperative housing, which is how Denmark works. This is how Austria works. It's how Netherlands work. And as you said, the UK. Yeah. So the UK is cooperative housing, and they still have a very dysfunctional other housing true, market yeah, as well. True, right? true. But, but gradually over time, if you're saying to first-time buyers and young families, well, you can buy for 270 here, uh, as opposed to 470, very, very quickly, yeah. one market will seep into the other. Yeah. Right? And it's only at the very upper ends then Will people continue the, the, I'm going to sit on this and hope the price goes up and sell it on, right? Yeah. But what you use change it. But equally, and this comes back to the economics, we've got to explain to people that supply and demand doesn't work in a restricted housing market. And here's the logic, right? Supply and demand always rests on the premise that if the price goes up, demand will go down, Yeah. right? And if the price goes up, supply will go up, yeah. right? So that's the idea. So people say, if there's a great expression, which is the solution to high prices is high prices. Because, <laughs> because 
and you see this in the markets all the time, the financial market, the solution to high prices is high prices. What brings prices down is the very lofty valuations themselves because they become ludicrous and prices fall, right? right? But it's more of a collapse. Yeah, well, more, well, it's just like if the price is too high, it'll come down. Yeah. So the solution to high prices is actually high prices. Right, right. And you have to think the way I do. That's yeah, just yeah, my that's... way. My... So let's think about the supply and demand idea. What actually happens in a restricted market that is informed by and anchored by the notion of an upward bias in price all the time, which is our market, mm, mm. is that when prices rise, demand doesn't fall, as economic theory would tell you. It actually rises. Why? Because people panic. Yeah. So people think, you know... I want a part of that. Jesus, the prices are going up by 50 grand a year. If I don't buy today... It'll be another 50 grand next year. Yeah. So an actual... Fact I fell of, into that trap, well, I have to say. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Should have talked to me at the I time. I know, but this is us coming back from London. And, and everybody barring on was saying, if you don't get in now, you'll never be able to afford it. Exactly. Well, as I always say, most people fell into negative equity, not out of greed, out of love. And I really mean that. Yeah. I really yeah, mean yeah, that. Because yeah. you have a young family, you're in love, you're like, man, we've got to get a, a gaff, right? But think about it. When the price goes up, demand doesn't fall it rises because yeah. people panic. That's the first thing. Yeah. Second thing is when the prices rise, economic theory says, well, don't worry, supply will rise, but it doesn't either. And the reason is the following. It's all through expectations. Is that the people who are about to sell see prices rising and they say, I'd be mad to sell today if I can sell next year and get another yeah. 50 grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So supply actually contracts when prices rise. Yeah. So what you get is you get a double whammy in the market, which is exactly what's happening here in the pandemic, that people who said, well, I'm going to sell my flat, and they say, oh, no, prices are rising. Jesus, I'll sell it next year. Because yeah. the bargain for me is next year, yeah. right? People who want to buy think, shit, I better get on the ladder straight away. Yeah. So the market itself contracts, and it can't fix itself. And then so, it just, it's its a spiral then, isn't it? it it's just, a spiral. It feeds off it itself. It feeds off itself. Yeah. Why? Because you're dealing with human nature. Yes. This is yeah, the issue. Yeah, you're yeah, dealing yeah. with humans. And we, as, as you said, the reason you bought, you chatted to people. Yeah. And they chatted to you. This is human nature. We're fucking gossiping I've never people. chatted to them again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you should have come down here and I'd have sorted you out. So think about it. Basic economics does not work in the housing market because housing, unlike most other purchases we engaging is deeply emotional, yeah. right? And then once you talk about emotions, you talk about peer groups, you talk about gossip, you talk about fear, you talk about the herd, yeah. and the yeah. herd moves in a certain direction yeah. until it doesn't, which is what happened in 2008. The herd said, shit, move yeah. the other way, right? <laughs> but, and this is where we conclude, you said, how do you change people's minds? You explain to them what's going on like this. You tell them there is a better way. You use models like Austria, Germany, Denmark, Holland. You say, these countries do it this way and they are fine. Yeah. And what you do is you undermine the notion that a dysfunctional housing market is normal. And you say, this is abnormal. And why is it abnormal? Again, remember we talked about rents? Yeah. Because yeah. the political machinations in Ireland, the political industry, the political machine has been hostaged to land-owning interests. And therefore, every single intervention... I'm amazed at the housing market. Every single intervention in the housing market is designed to increase prices. 
Yeah. Think about that. Yeah, every single yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Every single one, right? And nobody says, hold on, right? So equity to buy, help to buy, 30-year mortgages, you know, buy now, pay later. Yeah. You don't have to put it, don't worry about the 10% deposit, 5%. What are they all, they're all designed to push to prices up. Bump it up, yeah. Not push prices yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as long... And it's amazing that we haven't learned from that either. I know, it's amazing. You know what I find amazing? That, you know, 15 years ago, I was shouting and roaring about this. Yeah. If you had told me 15 years ago, when I used to do the primetime specials and all that, that 15 years later, after a monumental crash, that we still at this carry on, it shows you, and this is back to your point, how ingrained these vested interests yeah. are yeah. and how deeply dysfunctional the running of the housing market is because of these vested interests. It also shows you the politicians are afraid of them. Yeah. So Fianna Fáil, in the old days, used to build council houses. That's what they did when we started that. Mm-hmm. What did Fianna Fáil just introduced now? Because the Minister for Housing is Fianna Fáiler. Equity to buy. Yeah. Which is a developer's put option. Think about it. It's extraordinary. We're back to the markets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, what it's basically saying is that Fianna Fáil is now validating high prices when De Valera's Fianna Fáil started by ensuring low prices. That's where we've got to. And we've got to reverse that. And we've got to do it quickly. Now, why I have you there again. Why not use the time when you're locked up to learn economics? Join me on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Let's learn economics together. We have the economics course. Macroeconomics has never been as essential to understand. We have the Ask Mac tutorials every other week. We have Q&A. We've got the reading list. And more importantly, you become part of the community. If you have a question, if you have something that's going on, you want to ask me, join me on Patreon. Email in. I will answer your question. But more importantly, it's ad-free. Just you and me and your man across the way. Patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. And let's figure out the world together.